we all make mistakes, decisions that we regret, things we'd like to do over, like not buying Bitcoin when you first heard about it at $1. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. At times, therapy has helped me and my loved ones in many ways. Therapy isn't just for those who've experienced major traumas. With the right guide, you can discover effective strategies to minimize distractions and truly connect with your needs, setting the stage for a more balanced life. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge take a moment visit betterhelp.com slash gold today to get 10 percent off your first month that's betterhelp help.com slash gold in my early days i faced a pivotal moment in my career instead of following the herd into traditional finance i charted my own course despite skepticism i founded my investment firm driven by a belief in economic truth and fiscal responsibility through perseverance i established myself as a leading voice in finance proving that sometimes blazing your own path is the best way to succeed to get what you want sometimes you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail that's what harry's did seeing people tricked by expensive razors harry's took a stand Instead of pricey options, they offer high-quality razors at a fraction of the cost. That's why when it comes to grooming my face, I use Harry's. Harry's understands the value of quality without breaking the bank. Their razors provide a smooth shave every time, and their shaving gel leaves my skin feeling refreshed and moisturized. So don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com gold. That's harris.com slash gold for a $3 trial set. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, it was a holiday-shortened week, but we still had a lot of economic data that came out Tuesday through Friday. Almost all of it bad, and some of it wasn't just bad. It was really horribly bad. But nobody seems to care, right, because everybody is still paying attention to all the rate height talk coming from the Federal Reserve, right? The Federal Reserve keeps talking about raising rates if the economy continues to strengthen, and that is the key that everybody overlooks. It's contingent on the economy strengthening, but all the evidence indicates that that's not the case. The markets, though, you know, were down on the week because people are worried about rate hikes coming from the Fed, despite all of this bad economic news that would suggest otherwise. I guess, too, maybe some uh, traders wanted to sell in May and go away. So, the, you know, the markets were generally lower on the week. The dollar uh, was a bit higher and gold a bit lower. But again, based on how bad the economic data was, you would have expected the dollar to have had a bigger reaction down and gold up, except, again, people are not paying attention to the data They're paying attention to the Fed. And again, that shows you how manipulated this market really is, because it's all really about what the Federal Reserve does or what the Federal Reserve thinks. And in fact, they already made excuses to explain away the weak uh, GDP numbers in the first quarter, which we got on Friday. The government released the revisions. And if you remember, the day the government came out, 
with its uh, 0.2% uh, first quarter GDP number. I said that day that they're going to revise it negative. Even before I saw the new data, I was confident that the first look was going to be too optimistic and that we would get a, a negative revision. And so by a Friday morning, before the number came out, the consensus was for a negative 0.8. And in fact, we got a negative 0.7, which, can you believe it? People were saying, hey, it's good news, right? We beat the estimate, right? It wasn't quite as awful as we thought. But it actually was, because remember, in order to get the 0.7, the government had to pretend that inflation was negative. That negative 0.1 deflator was unchanged in the revision. So the government still inflated. Nominal GDP uh, was actually down 0.8. Uh, but because they pretended that we had deflation and not inflation, they were able to inflate the deflator by make uh, by the GDP rather by making the decline smaller. But also companies continue to build inventory incredibly. You know, hope springs eternal. There are still so many people that are buying into this recovery nonsense that they're still gearing up for something that's not going to be there. If you take out the inventory build, I think GDP would have been down 3%. And that's assuming that inflation was negative, which it wasn't. So this was a bad number, but nobody cares because the Fed had already said they don't believe the first quarter data. They're going to doubly seasonally adjust it. And so as far as they're concerned, growth was 1.8%, no matter what the actual number is, right? So what that tells people is, oh, we don't have to worry about the weak first quarter because it's not going to change the Fed's mind because they still think the economy is is strong when all of the data that we got that has come out for the second quarter and we're going to get into more of that in this podcast but most of that data is also very very weak how do you explain away the awful may numbers because you know it's pretty nice i just came inside to record this podcast it's a beautiful day the weather's been nice all all uh, all month in fact, I was speculating in the winter that if the spring was really nice, they would blame the lack of shopping on the good weather, right? They would say, well, you know, the weather is so nice. People are so relieved from being out in the cold that they spent all their time at the beach and the park playing with their family, you know, on picnics. And so that's why they didn't go shopping, right? So first it's too cold to shop. Then it's too nice to shop, right? They never run out of excuses. But we got some other economic data that came out on Friday that was really bad, that nobody really talked about. Probably the worst one was the plunge in quarterly profits in the first quarter. Now, this is a quarter where the Dow Jones and the S&P hit record highs and the NASDAQ. What happened to corporate profits? They plunged by 5.9%. That was the biggest quarterly drop in profits since the financial crisis of 2008. Now, Prior to that, I'm not even sure when we had a quarter this bad. But this is a big drop in quarterly in corporate profits. This has got to be telling you something. You can't blame this on the weather. Do you think when they have their stockholders meetings, you think the CEOs of these companies are going to say, listen, I know we had a lousy quarter, but it was because of the weather? I don't think the shareholders are going to accept that excuse, right, the way the economists or the media buys the government's excuse about the weather. Look, we had a bad uh, winter last winter. Corporate profits didn't collapse like they just did uh, this this winter. So there's something really going on. And, you know, productivity has just fallen for two back-to-back -back quarters. That rarely happens. So if productivity is falling and profits are plunging, what does that tell you about payrolls, right? Everybody's been wondering about unemployment. Well, what about the payrolls, right? Because if corporations 
are um, are having their profits squeezed and their productivity is falling, what do they do? They got to cut costs. Well, what costs can they cut? Right. They're workers. They can lay them off. You know, there was an announcement. J.P. Morgan is about to lay off 5000 workers. You know, five, that's 5,000 more people now that used to work at J.P. Morgan that are now going to be competing for those minimum wage jobs, right? Or maybe they're going to be driving uh, Uber, Uber cars around, right? This is what we're doing. We're destroying good jobs and creating uh, lousy part-time jobs, minimum wage-type uh, jobs. But if corporations have to, uh, you know, shore up their balance sheet because uh, this drop in profits, so remember, these corporations are already levered up to the max, Imagine what would happen if the Fed actually raised interest rates. If corporate profits are plunging when rates are still at zero, what happens to these levered balance sheets when rates go up? Then profits are really going to hit the skids. Then they're really going to have to ramp up the layoffs. So anybody who's thinking forward looks at this number and says, you know what? The layoffs are coming. If the Fed says that they're not going to raise rates unless the economy improves, unless the job market improves, well, we know it's not going to improve because if corporations don't have profits, how are they going to hire people? They got to lay people off. And here's another bad number that came out on Friday was the May Chicago PMI. And this is the May number right now. We did get a bounce in April from a lousy print we had in March. Right. We got a bounce in April and people were saying, you see, you see, everything is bouncing back. Right. And April's PMI was fifty two point three. And people were looking for the number to continue to recover from the March lows uh, to fifty three point one. Instead, we plunged all the way back down to 46.2, almost as low as the horrible March number, which is a six-year low. So instead of building on April's gains, we collapsed down to the March lows. So we're now in May just as lousy a number as we were in the winter with the cold and the snow. So how do you explain this? You know, And, of course, this just capped more bad economic data that came out earlier in the week. I'll start with the April durable goods, right, which fell 0.5. This is uh, a year-over-year decline. It's the fourth consecutive month that we've had declining year-over-year April durable, I mean, durable goods sales. Now, look, if the truth was that the economy was really depressed in the winter because everybody was holding back their spending and investing because it was too damn cold, right, then there should be a big spring back in the spring, right? All this pent-up demand should have been unleashed in April and May. The fact that the numbers are as bad, if not worse, in April and May than they were during the winter shows that it wasn't the weather that was slowing down the economy because the economy is even slower now that the weather has improved. Right Now, we also got the March services PMI, which fell, fell, uh, although this is still March, uh, to 56.4. It's the lowest level since January, the second monthly drop. And it's the first year-over-year decline since December, so another negative number. A really bad one was the May, another May number. Dallas Fed manufacturing crashed to minus 20.8. This is the fifth consecutive monthly decline for that index. So it declined in the winter, and it's continuing to decline in the spring. So it's building on the weakness. There is no bounce back. If you look at that uh, index, everything was weak. Employment, hours worked production, everything plunged. It was a horrible report, yet everybody is still focusing on the Federal Reserve living in dreamland about how great the recovery is. I mean, why do we have to wait for the Fed to acknowledge 
that the economy is in bad shape? Because remember, the Federal Reserve has never predicted a recession in advance. They've always forecast a strong economy and then have been surprised to learn that we had a recession. In fact, in many cases, they are, they are forecasting economic growth while we are in a recession that they still don't perceive. And it is quite possible that we are in a recession because it's possible that the second quarter GDP can end up negative as well. Right. And the Federal Reserve still thinks everything is great because the the Great Recession, right, the biggest recession since the Great Depression began in late 2007. And in mid 2008, the Fed still didn't have a, a, a recession in its forecast, even though we were already in one. But again, I've mentioned this before. One of the reasons that the Fed is never going to forecast a recession, other than the fact that they're, they're, you know, they're incompetent, is that even if they believe there was a recession coming, the last thing they would do is admit it because they're afraid of their forecast becoming a self-fulfilling one. Whereas if they say that we think the economy is going to be weak, people will change their behavior. Businesses will change their behavior. People will spend less, invest less. People will prepare for the recession, and it might create one, right? So they're always just going to cheerlead the economy. So why don't the traders figure this out? How can they ignore all this bad data because they're waiting for the Fed to acknowledge something that they're never going to acknowledge until it's too late? Now, also on consumer sentiment numbers, uh, Bloomberg comes out with this uh, weekly index of consumer comfort, and it keeps falling. It just fell for the seventh consecutive week, seven weeks in a row. This hasn't happened in seven years, seven years, right? This is the, the longest streak. And now we're back to the lowest level in consumer comfort since November. Uh, and more importantly, one of the things that they measure, they survey consumers and they ask them, do you think now is a good time to buy stuff, right? Is it a good time to spend? Uh, the percentage decline in the people who said yes now versus uh, the last time, it was the biggest plunge since 2011. So people think, no, it's not a good time to spend money. Well, why do they think that? Right? Because the economy is not good. You know, that's why, you know, even on employment, when people are pe people are now more afraid of losing their jobs. I mentioned this in an earlier podcast than they were uh, at any point since the Great Recession. And if the unemployment rate is really so low, why are so many people worried about losing their jobs? Right. Because they know that if they lose their job, that's it. Right. They just got a part time job, uh, you know, uh, waiting for them. That is the problem. Right. Because in the past, if you had a full time job, good job and you lost it, well, you can get another full-time job. But now those jobs are very scarce. People know if you lose your job, you're not going to get another job that has the same pay, right? You might like you might be making 50, 60, 70,000 dollars a year. But if you if you uh if you lose that job, you know, there's a good chance, you know, you're cooking french fries. You know, that's what you're going to be doing. And of course, that's going to be very problematic, you know, now that they're raising up these minimum wage laws. You know, people without high school degrees who don't really speak good English, you know, if you show up for a job at McDonald's and you're competing against a guy who, you know, used to be a banker and has a master's degree and he wants the same job as you, well, you're probably not going to get it, right? But this is why people are so afraid. They know if they lose their real job, there is no real job to fall back on. That's how lousy this economy is because the Fed is in the way. It will not allow a legitimate recovery. It is too concerned about maintaining the illusion of prosperity to allow genuine prosperity. So all they want to do is prop up the stock market, prop up the housing market, 
pretend everything is okay, allow the government to keep on borrowing and spending as if it can actually afford uh, to repay its debts or honor its commitments. This is all one big illusion. And, you know, the reason I think so many traders are so you know anxious to try to discern uh, you know, you know whether or not Janet Yellen is going to raise rates or not is because they still believe that they that they will. They still believe the Fed is serious. They still haven't figured out the con, right? That this is all a big you know stunt. It's all an illusion designed to hide the reality that the economy is so levered up and that the bubble is so big that rates have to stay at zero forever to hide the fact that another round of QE is coming. So people still think that there's going to be rate hikes, and I still think that that's not going to happen. The most that we might get is a trivial rate hike just so the Fed could say, you see, we raised rates, right, and raise them. Because right now, the official rate is 0 to 0.25. So what if they raise rates to 0.1 or 0.15? I mean, it's still in the middle of the official range. Even if they raise rates to 0.25, it's not much of a hike. If that's all they do and then they stop, right, that's not really like they've raised rates. I mean, they're trying to bluff the fact that they're going to go on a tightening campaign where they're going to try to bring interest rates back to normal, right, where they're going to try to shrink the Fed's balance sheet back to normal. There is no more normal anymore. We got the new normal. The new normal is interest rates are at zero and we have perpetual QE. That's the new normal until this whole thing blows up because the only thing keeping it together is the fact that so many people don't understand that that's the new normal. They actually believe in the legitimacy of this phony recovery. They actually believe a, a bubble is a legitimate recovery. But again, remember, these are the same people who were just as confident in the last phony recovery that ended in the financial crisis. You know, they still haven't learned their lesson. It amazes me how little people learn from history, even recent history, even history that they lived through. You know, I mean, certainly, you know, you know, you have events that took place, you know, hundreds of years ago, right, that people weren't even around. You can learn and study and try to learn from their mistakes. But, you know, how do we expect people to learn from the mistakes that their ancestors made when they can't even learn from their own mistakes? Hello, this is Peter Schiff. I bet you didn't know that without silver, you wouldn't be hearing this podcast right now or be able to use a computer at all. From laptops to smartphones to TVs to speakers, virtually all modern electronics use silver to conduct electricity. Did you know that the average solar panel uses two-thirds of an ounce of silver to function? And the solar industry is expanding dramatically, not just in America, but in booming developing nations like China and India. Silver is naturally antibacterial and is used extensively in modern medicine. Silver coatings are being added to breathing tubes, bandages, catheters, and other medical instruments to reduce the spread of infections. When antibiotics fail, silver still works. I believe the 21st century will be the century of silver. As fiat currencies continue to collapse and new uses are found for silver every day, the white metal's strong industrial demand and low per ounce price will make it increasingly attractive to savers around the world. At today's prices, people of any age and background can afford to buy some silver. Learn why silver is a smart and reliable investment in my free special report, The Powerful Case for Silver. Visit shiftsilver.com and download it now. The Powerful Case for Silver includes information about silver's amazing chemical properties. It also explains why I believe silver may outperform gold in the coming years. Download The Powerful Case for Silver and educate yourself, your friends, and your family about the white metal. 
Just visit shiftsilver.com to download my free report. That's shiftsilver.com.